You can play along with Kane and Rince Volume 5, as many people we now know do. Uh, the next five games coming up are Plants vs Zombies, Crazy Taxi, The Legend of Zelda, The Wind Waker, 80 Days, and The Rock Band series. You can head to canerince.com for articles, features, reviews, and links to our forum, Facebook page, and YouTube channel. If you enjoy what we do, then of course there are a number of ways which, which you can support us. We have a patron, but there's no content hidden behind paywalls or anything controversial like that. You can donate as little as $1 or $1.50 for a pound rate or wherever it will be now, <laughs> um, uh, which will help us keep uh, help keep Cane and Rinse, uh, the lights on in Cane and Rinse headquarters. If you prefer to get something more tangible in return for your hard-earned cash, then check out our shop, which can help support the podcast by purchasing Kane and Rinse t-shirts and bags. Each purchase next us a couple of quid, and you get something swanky to wear out and about. If neither of those take your fancy and you haven't done so already, then please review, rate, and subscribe to our podcast on iTunes, or Stitch Radio, or TuneIn, or find an RSS feed. Something like that, and that will help us along nicely in itself. If you're a fan of music and video games, then our sister music podcast is probably for you. If you haven't listened to it already, it's called Sound of Play, and it's uh, it's now a weekly show due to popular demand, no less. Joining me, Tony Atkins, in this issue is Ryan Hammond. That's right. Joshua Garrity. Hello there. And Darren Gargett. Mm, hello. And I just want to put this in here. This is Darren's last show for a while. <laughs> yeah. Unfortunately, we haven't fired him. We haven't got rid of him. There's no ulterior motive. He's uh, well due to be a father, no less. I know. I know that could be hard to believe, but Darren is due to be a father. Uh, so yeah. you're going to be away just for a little while. Yeah. I can't believe how quickly it's come around. It only feels like last week. Where, you know, the, the news of fatherhood was upon me, and now it's like, yeah, it's nearly July now, and you're like, and you're like, okay. It's getting a bit real now so um but yeah in terms of everything around me it's all prepared it's all the nursery built and everything ready to go so just waiting for a little human now that, that'll be your room to get some sleep at night <laughs> <laughs> you're gonna be playing some a lot of ds games i predict oh but yes enjoy anyway so we hope to have you back uh if it's the normal predictable run in about 14 months but it might be a lot sooner than that so let's get on to the business of talking about the game we're here to talk about ori and the blind forest Let's do some of the details first. So it's re- it was released in on March the 11th, 2015 on the Xbox One and PC. There was a definitive edition later on, on March the 11th, 2016. It's a full year later. And on my birthday, April the 27th on the PC. It started life as an Xbox 360 game, but was moved to the Xbox One and PC later on in development. We will talk a little bit about that later. Uh, the developer and publisher was... Moon Studios, who are, well, they were a brand new company. They are based in Austria, or Vienna in Austria. Quite an interesting story, actually, behind this company. It's a bunch of AAA working folk that have been around the block. They've got a few people from Blizzard Entertainment. There's a few from EA. Um, Seem to be scattered all over the place. And as per usual, we're going to make a game because we can do this better than our big, big brothers. And um, what is interesting about this is the fact that they are a studio that do not have an office. They are all based around their own little personal workstations in different parts of the world. And they've come together as one by using Skype and video technology, etc. And they, their reasons for doing this, I quite like this, is that they feel like if you have one central location, 
then you tend to have to hire people that are willing to move to that location. So say, for instance, if Josh wanted to get into game development, which I'm sure he'd love to one day, he would have to move to America or Austria in this case. And many people don't want to do that, but they are happy to work from their own home base. So I believe that the company was made up of about 15 people. So um, there's a quite nice story about them going to E3 2014 when the game was revealed. And that was when they all met for the first time outside of cameras, etc., just kind of a, I like that. I like the idea of being kind of a bit more nimble. Uh, and it means obviously that overheads were pretty low. It was directed, designed and written by Thomas Maller and programmed, produced and written by Gendry Corral, the composer, which I'm sure we will come back to a bit later on the show, the music uh, talk as Gareth Cocker. Game rankings, we like to use over Metacritic. Its average score over 55 reviews, so a fairly healthy 55 reviews, was 88.5. Pretty much the definitive edition was about a point lower than that, um, but from a lot less reviews. Couldn't find any sale figures on this particular title, but um, Moon Studios did say that the game was profitable within one week of launch on the Xbox One, so it certainly covers costs. And the fact that it received the Game of the Year edition and the publicity it had from um, the many months of release, I'd believe it it, pr- it probably sold enough to make people happy. Uh, and like I say, it was part of Microsoft's E3 2014 presentation. It was a big part of that. It's probably where everybody first had their glance at the game. Mm-hmm. Um, but let's find that out. So our histories. So Ryan, was Microsoft's 2014 E3 presentation the first time you saw that game? And was that when you got excited for this? Yeah, yeah, no, I was watching that presentation live, and this this uh, presentation, this portion of it, really kind of grabbed my attention right from the very beginning. And the first thing I thought when I saw it was like, "Oh yeah, I liked Dust and Elysian Tale. Like, I, I'm I'm really happy to see what they're <laughs> up to next." And I was really bowled over to discover that there's no personnel that's uh, shared between those two titles. Like. I thought that, especially since Dust was another uh, Microsoft-funded property, I believe, mm-hmm. um, it was really surprising that this game that has very kind of similar-looking species and uh, very similar kind of hand-drawn backgrounds and uh, Metroidvania exploration style and stuff like that just uh, had nothing to do with that other game, so... Um, you know, even before recording today, I've looked it up like a dozen times and I, I still have to look it up every time I think about it because for me, like in my brain, like I can't wrap my mind around the fact that these two aren't linked in any way. They they certainly share an aesthetic, that's yeah. for sure. Mm. Uh, Josh? Much like Ryan, um, the first time I saw this in Microsoft's uh, presentation, I was pretty impressed. I think what really grabs everyone when they first see a trailer for it is the animation. Um, it's the aesthetic is so it's so on point. It, I, I, we're going to talk about um, its influences uh, influences uh, later on in the show, but it immediately reminded me of uh, Princess Mononoke and and Studio Ghibli films. And and what also impressed me was not only that the visual aesthetic um, was uh, just really uh, well put together, but just also that the gameplay looked really compelling. Um, uh, This isn't always the case, but there is a tendency where um, games kind of focus on either or. So there are some games that are just... I'm bowled over by their visual aesthetic, uh, but maybe the um, game design is a bit weak. 
and mm. sometimes you have the other end of the spectrum. That's not always the case. You get the stuff like Bastion and Transistor, which managed to do both. But um, I, I was initially worried, and and why I didn't go out and buy it day one was because I was worried it was going to be one of those games where it looks good in trailers, but when you actually have it in your hand and you know on the pad, it's not going to feel as great. So I kind of waited until word of mouth got out before I picked up this title. Uh, I suppose we should ask whether you played it on Xbox One or PC. Um, I, I, I bought it on PC uh, because at the time I didn't have an Xbox One. Ryan, were you... Uh, about the original version on Xbox One and then the definitive version as well. Ah, lovely. Darren? Yeah, definitely saw it at the E3 2014 conference. Um, it's kind of a trend to put a breath of fresh air between all the bullets to have something <laughs> like this, you know, to break up the pace. And it also kind of appeals to, you know, the... I hate to say it, but you know, the more discerning gamer, it's like, oh yeah, it actually looks like something that isn't just killing and murdering and, you know, guns and bombs all the time. I like that already. You know, it's one of those things and you've seen it in recently with Fee at EA and stuff like that. You know, they're always put in there, but they always kind of work, you know. That area's been catered for normally. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, uh, you know, it's, it's happened before with Grow Home and it will probably happen again next year. And, you know, it, yeah, so I was immediately pulled towards it because it was a 2D platformer. So I was like, hmm. I, I do like the, that genre, and I like the way it looked. And I kind of just—I didn't bother looking into it after that because I'm—I'm one to do that kind of thing. I'll just look at a thing and go, "I like the look of that." I'll come back to it near a release and see what people are saying about it. I don't really like to follow every micro move of a game anymore because I end up just not enjoying it when it comes out. Um, so yeah, but, but I ended up buying it um, on Xbox One straight away because I just knew that after seeing the video, probably a giant bomb like I normally do. I was like, "Yep, yeah, I want a bit of that." And um, and then ended up buying the definitive edition, you know, a year later. I'd have to say as well, the definitive edition. It's if you own the original, it's a it's a nice cheap upgrade, isn't it? like three pound fifty, something like that. Yeah, I was um, mm. pleasantly surprised by that because you know, being a you know being games person gamer, you know, you, you obviously got your your jaded hat on already. You're like they're going to charge <laughs> me another fifteen quid for this game, and then you go to the store and it's like three pound sixty four. You're like, ah, oh, hmm. yeah, genius. Thanks, thank you very much. Yeah, it has to be said as well, we delayed this show. Um, this was meant to be a couple of months, maybe 10 issues ago. We, we replaced it with her story um, purely because the definitive edition came out the, the week that we were recording. And mm. we felt there was enough content in there to warrant uh, a bit of a rejig and, and play through it. And, you know, uh, some of the team have done that and we'll give their thoughts on it later. Mm. As for myself, yeah, I saw the Microsoft E3 press conference. Um, you know, that was a period when you know the, the Microsoft were getting a bit of a kick in so uh, it was a, a shining light out of a fairly drab beacon so um, but it, it's it I didn't I well I I have I played it before I brought it I mean I've recently completed it um, this month but uh, it's taken me a little while to get through it and I'll go into that later but um, I played it at Eurogamer it must have been 2014 maybe 2015 I'm not sure which one it was was at Microsoft had it there in, in their booth and it was this little, you know, cornered off area. I think they had one console playing it. And um, I was lucky enough that I was there early in the morning. I got to, to sit down and played it. And I played it for about an hour in this little <laughs> corner, not letting anyone else get on, um, realizing that it was really quite hard. And the fact that, that, you know, the demo area they put you in was a little bit later in the game. So I hadn't quite understood the mechanics. So I think I was probably trying to do things a little back to front, thinking back in memory now, but... I was determined to get through this little demo area and I fell in love with it. I loved the art style. I loved how tricky it seemed to be. Um, 
and so yeah, I ended up uh, purchasing it for full price. So good stuff. So for those of you who don't know what Ori is, I'm just going to give you a little preamble about the game and the story. So inspired by games like Rayman and Metroid, it's a 2D platformer, Metrovania game with a beautiful art style in which you solve puzzles via the ever-increasing tricky platforming whilst unlocking greater powers to help you progress along. We will dig a little bit deeper into mechanics later, but right now let's talk about the story and what a story it is. The story is pretty abstract, but in the best possible way. You play a character named Ori who falls from a spirit tree in, into the forest of Nibel, who incidentally also narrates the on-screen plot in a kind of strange, voicey, deep way. It's, it's, it's beautiful. And is adopted by a creature named Nauru. Unfortunately, Nauru dies to starvation, sacrificing her last piece of food to help her surrogate child, thus leaving Ori to fend for herself and ultimately... And ultimately, the storm consumes Ori too. The spirit tree resurrects Ori with the last of its power, but plunges the world into darkness. It becomes your job to recover the light of the three main elements to support in the balance of Nibel, water, wind and warmth. If your task isn't hard enough, you are haunted by a large owl named Kuro, whose offspring have been killed in the recent events. The story really gets under people's skin, and the majority of feedback received at Kanerinz highlights its power to make you emote and... I would like to open the conversation with a post from a gilded link who left this comment on our forum. Ori and the Blind Forest is most amazing because how thematically tight the story is. Mechanically, visually and audibly, the game is sublime, but the crowning achievement to me is how consistent the story gets across its themes of misunderstanding and sacrifice. The characters in Ori all act according to their nature, are all victims of miscommunication due to these actions and all have to sacrifice something for a another in order to restore the natural balance of their world, whether it's a conscious decision or not. The storm that precipitates all of this serves to underline that no one character is responsible for the way the world has become. The spirit tree didn't necessarily realise that Ori was safe and called out to it with its light, acting on its nature. To make things right, the spirit tree uses the last of its power to restore Ori to life. Kuro thinks the spirit tree's light is an attack on her nest and seeks to destroy the threat of her fledgling out of both rage and fear, as is in her nature. Her sacrifice comes at the end of the game, realising that her fledgling life mattered more than revenge. Nori doesn't realise that Ori has a place in the world with the spirit tree, seeing its light and growing fearful trying to protect Ori. She sacrifices her last bit of food for Ori's survival, condemning herself to death for the one she cares about. Gummer reverts to selfish fear, thinking that Gummer clan had hauled themselves up and it was left to fend for, for itself. Its sacrifice to Ori is in good faith and helps Ori to restore the world as it learns from this. Ori didn't realise its own nature and spent a happy life with Nuru without realising there was a home elsewhere, simply living by its nature. Ori's final sacrifice, which the game builds up to, would not be possible without the actions of the other four sacrificing for one another. The game's musical themes and world follow this pattern that reflects how nature leads to events like this and can cause pain but bring out the best in others. It's a powerful story that serves as an engine for a stellar effort that in every way is going to be regarded as a timely classic for years to come. So I think that gives a really big overview of what the story is. Um, there's some, you know, I wouldn't say necessarily heavy themes in there, but there's some good talking points. And let's talk about the start of the game. We've covered, obviously, that certain characters dies, but I've seen a lot of people saying this really, really got underneath their skin. So was that the case for you guys? 
Yeah, I, I mean, it, it caught me off guard, to be honest, because I really wasn't expecting that to happen at all. Um, I hadn't really um, looked or read at any kind of uh, conversation around the game um, in terms of just the story. Um, I had just seen reviews and, and, and trailers and stuff, so I was kind of sold on the visual aesthetic and kind of the... You know, ju- just the way the, the the game looked like it played. Um, I was really up for kind of a Metroidvania experience. Um, but then you have that opening, and they ju- they just do a really good job of creating um, simple character relationships that give you just enough to care. Mm-hmm. Like the, this is this you know the game d- doesn't go into huge amounts of detail about you know the lore of the world or the you know the backstories of all its characters. It leaves a lot to your imagination, but it gives you enough of a concrete idea of how these people feel about the, you know the people they're interacting with and and the world around them. That when that death happens, it really does. It does feel like a gut punch. It it really, um, really caught me off guard. I've I've seen many people reference um, Disney Pixar's Up as a a good mm. kind of marker, um, yeah. purely for the for the lack of um, the game. The game does have, well, it doesn't really have dialogue. It has kind of kind of muted mutterings uh, of a tree, um, but it has words that come up on the screen that you know that you know inform you of the the bigger issues of the story, but. The characters, you know, themselves don't talk, um, and they're very good at moting. And you know, something like Disney Pixar's Up is absolutely a perfect analogy of that. You know, you really do feel for the characters and that, and and the loss by the end. I think that opening scene is probably the most memorable individual scene in the game. I think it's very well acted and very well delivered, but the story itself. Like I kind of went into it and that was what I was expecting to see. It was one of those typical kind of like make you fall in love with a character and then kill them off immediately. Mm -hmm. Um, Almost kind of like fridging the parent in that way. Uh, And I I didn't necessarily have any like reservation against that. I'm not like, you know, impress me by showing me something new or or be gone with you. But uh, yeah, I don't know. I, I didn't feel like it necessarily got under my skin just because it was i don't know i i kind of saw what they were setting up but i I think it is very well acted yeah you know the the setup's really cute and i really like them two getting on together to build a little bridge across a river i think it is you know (laughs) they they get on really well you know and Mm -hmm. but it becomes such a meme especially you know because we're always on twitter and it's always such a meme that oh that character's gonna die and you know you can see it like as soon as a new cute thing gets introduced to a video game everyone's always predicting it's gonna die so when a character dies in a video game now i'm just like Okay, cool. Yeah, it's dead. Let's, let's, let's do the game now. How jaded you've become. I know, it's, it's ridiculous, but that's what I, happens. I think for me, I had seen um, the character of Naru in so much of the trailers and so many mm. of the mm-hmm. um, video reviews of the game that I kind of assumed that that character was going to be in the story the whole way through. And I just went yeah. into it with that assumption. So when the character died, it it did, it was a bit of a gut punch. And also mm. th- that character for me, I I do absolutely get what you and uh, uh, you uh, Ryan and Darren are saying. Um, like that that is a trope in narrative. I think 
for me though that character the naru character just didn't look like i know this sounds weird but they just didn't artistically look like the kind of character you'd kill off it, <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah the character kind of it, it, it was almost feeling like the blue role in the jungle book if uh-huh. that makes any sense <laughs> like yeah, no, the, the the kind of lovable kind of dumpy character who's you know big and 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 huggable and stuff like that and you and i kind of expected them to be like a support character all the way through the story but no no not at all um so yeah i i do get your criticism guys i i I think i went into it with expectations that led me to be a bit shocked by it what i really did like about it is the fact that it doesn't really get in the way of you playing the game it doesn't linger too long it doesn't Mm. make a massive point out of it like it does it really well and executes it really well it's like okay game time and you're like okay good and that's what i liked about the whole story in general was that it's there but it's never really going to force it in front of the gameplay that that's my big positive about the the narrative in general. It it just doesn't waste your time. It's really mm. economical with yeah. the details that it gives you, and it trusts you to pick up on um, story information with visual cues alone, mm. rather than kind mm. of layering on the text and layering on the dialogue. Um, for example, um, Koru's kind of backstory is conveyed almost entirely through visuals. Um, and, you know, just to speak about that character for a little bit, like, they didn't need to go to those lengths with that character. That could have just been an evil owl. In mm. any other game, that could have just been an evil owl. And we, it would have been fine. And, 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 and in this game, I really don't think it would have, you know, dramatically harmed the experience if the owl was just an evil owl. But the fact that they went to the effort to, hu- you know, humanize that threat, to actually add that extra layer, but do it subtly in a way that didn't kind of damage the flow of gameplay, I, that really impressed oh, me. Yeah, uh, to, back to... Um, to- Darren and Ryan's point, I, I have to say I wasn't amazingly blown away by this story. I, I think coming to this a little bit later on, so it had been out for like a few months, I think you know, that opening sequence had been talked about and played through, and you know, I'd played through it myself a little bit of while before actually getting to the game and, and continuing on with my adventures. So you know, I, I think it's a little bit tropey, but the, the fact that it looks so you know, visually stunning really helps it. But to your point, Josh, I, I think, you know, the owl is the Kura character is really important in that you know it's it's not just an an evil owl that's going to come down because you're a little creature and sweep and and possibly put you under threat it's because her young have been killed by this light of this tree and yeah. they don't you know you don't specifically know at the very start that the reason you know that's what i was thinking at the start I was like okay there's an evil kind of spirit land that's taken over this place and as the story gets further and further on, the pieces start to fall into place as you unlock you know, more and more of the spirit powers as you progress. You start to realize you know, why things have happened that lead on to the next things. And I think that's important. I think you know, it gives context to the world, context to the places that you're adventuring through. Um, and you know, eventually, um, Kuru herself, you know, she, she sacrifices that life spirit. To, to towards you and I think that you know it's a really important kind of little story beat that's in there didn't have to be there uh, and the gameplay wouldn't have suffered any if that story background wasn't there but I think you know the fact there is you know it's not 
it's not voice acted. It's you know there is some narration via text on screen, but the fact that's kind of a narrated by a tree in a kind of slightly kind of bassy way. I I don't know. It it it's a story that I think lingers under your skin a little bit just because it's slightly different from the norm. I get what you're saying. It is tropey and it is a simple story. It's not a complex narrative. I think what impressed me was just the execution of it mm-hmm. um, because they mm-hmm. did just trust you to pick up on their, you know, moments of, you know, just where it, it is literally just an an image on screen that's meant to convey something. And I I think... I don't know. I, I mean, we've all played Metal Gear Solid, and that's kind of like the polar <laughs> polar yeah. opposite of this, where, um, you know, I, I really love... I, don't get me wrong. I really love and respect um, a lot of Hideo Kojima's ideas, but the guy is so self-indulgent and exposition heavy that it can get so tiresome so to and 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 to be honest he's not the only um person developer guilty of that there are plenty of game developers who just don't understand the meaning of brevity or subtlety and and being able to convey information and just trusting that your audience has picked Mm -hmm. up on it and so when I saw it in this, and you know, no matter how simple and tropey this story can be at times, I just I was impressed with their bravery to just go, right, here's just a series of images. We trust our audience to get what's going on. Yeah. It's just it's so refreshing in, you know, in an industry where storytelling can be so lazy and um and uh, self-indulgent. It's surprising as well. I mean, for a second to talk about its development, you know, this is a game that is from a, you know, an, obviously a group of people that understand game design, but a new group of people set up uh, around this team under, you know, under the guise of Microsoft, which you know, essentially are paying the bills and allowing this to happen. It's, I watched a few interviews. It's, it's quite interesting. They had three different producers um, on this game because of the changes that were happening in Microsoft around at that time. And each time they thought that somebody was going to come in and just shut the place down because, you know, that maybe their vision didn't match the vision of, of what they were after in, within the studio. Um, and, it's, and it seems like actually Microsoft were, were pretty good in this instance. Yeah, they just, they kept saying, no, this is your vision. We'll, you know, we'd like what we see, just go off and make it. And that apparently there was no interference from the higher up above. So they just liked the look of the game. And carried on and carried on funding it, and I think having someone there when you maybe you're not worrying about the bills being paid behind you, um, sometimes make people go can make the best work, and I think that's that's hard as a, an indie development studio or a startup studio, actually, you know, because you you quite often find that they're not the greatest of uh, maybe the bookkeepers, etc. They kind of just want to make this great game, have an idea behind. Um, I would also say the the story um, design is important because. When you actually dig into the reasons this game exists, you find that there's you know, the, the the prime staff at the studio. They keep referencing Studio Ghibli, and they keep referencing Princess Mononoke and the Kuska uh, Valley of the Wind or Nausicaa Valley of the Wind, um, over and over again to the point where if you actually look, and and they're not shy away from this, Ori is based on a is it a Kaduma, a, from, a Kudama. Yeah. Kaduma Kadama from Princess Mononoke. Um, and 
if you haven't seen, um, you can't see this on obviously in the in the in the show, but I put an image of the two characters side by side, and apart from maybe a set of ears and a tail, they are strikingly similar. <laughs> and also, um, uh, Nauru, who is very much looks, you know, if you put them side by side, Totoro as well. Definitely the torso. Um, they mm-hmm. like uh, they changed Nuru's- the face. Yeah, yeah. The the torso's got that kind of weird uh, mix of a bit a bear and an owl that mm-hmm. uh, Totoro has. Yeah, it's it's really striking. Um, but with that, I think you know they're they're obviously fan fans of of the of Ghibli Ghibli's work, and there's that there is that kind of subtlety of character development that you know doesn't necessarily require words or big action scenes or anything it can just be a few moments of you know stillness um you know a slightly odd camera shot etc to convey the emotions of the characters rather than you know being forced and pushed into your face like many stories are quite heavy-handed yeah i mean while we're on the art i think i think ori in the blind forest is one of the most um, visually striking games I've ever had the pleasure of playing. <laughs> I think um, the animation is just incredible. Um, I think um, we're, we're constantly comparing it to Studio Ghibli, but I think in a lot of ways, um, Ori in the Blind Forest kind of does a better job of um, capturing the aesthetic of um, 2D animated feature films than any uh, 2D um uh 2d game i've played up until now um it's just it's just the way ori moves and just flows through the environment there's none of that kind of stop start kind of feel to the way characters move it's just really smooth and elegant and and they don't feel separate from the environment they're inhabiting Mm -hmm. as well everything kind of blends together in a really beautiful way but still ori stands out it's not like um you lose track of ori within the environment ori still um you can still keep track of him in the world but it's still he he still doesn't feel out of place at all mm-hmm. it doesn't feel like he's a separate asset just painted on top of the world he, yeah it's just i'm i'm so impressed um by what they've managed to achieve here visually it's it's such a, an impressive feat to make a character just pure white fit into such a colourful world. And I think that works uh, for, for the player as well because there's so much colour going on in every facet of this game that you kind of need this the, the main character to stand out. And, you know, I wouldn't have thought just to make it just... It's not pure white, <laughs> but it is mostly white. Yeah, just make it completely white. And you're like... It's a slight sure? glow to it, which helps. Yeah, you know, there's, there's mm. like tints of like, uh, you know, there's like shades of black in the, in the on the edges and stuff. Mm. But ultimately, it's a white character. And for for that to fit into a world which is just rammed full of colour, like, that is just, you know, amazing art direction. And yeah, the, the whole world feels cohesive it feels like a, a complete unit and uh, it is probably the best looking 2d game i've ever played you know i think rayman would have been a close call had i not played this you know rayman legends and origins yeah i think i mean the the, the difference between rayman legends and orange oh, I'm, I'm say oranges. <laughs> damn you darren for years of that origins um it's you know it's very cartoony um and it's, it's meant to be i mean it it you know it it celebrates its cartooniness, and I and mm, I love definitely. it for it. Mm-hmm. But um, Ori is is different. It has it has that filmic quality to it, and you know I think 
it's been said so many times about so many games that it's like it's like film reference quality and quite often like in 3d games that's, that's not really the case but actually with 2d games you can you know you can get somewhere close because you know the idea of it isn't particularly that different um and listening to there was a there's a really good gdc conversation um about this and they go into the out of a team of 15 it was made up of 50 percent artists so like half the team were the art team and and you can tell but that doesn't necessarily mean it makes a great art game just because you have lots of uh, people working on it but it seemed to be with this this idea of this this studio that was based you know all over the place is that they got to cherry pick from all the different places around the world and they could bring the best person that was perfect for the job without necessarily having to bring them over to Austria. Um, and it meant that they got some really, really good talent to work on this game, you know, and, and super, you know, low cost, which sounds really like a great idea. But the way they, they go on to describe how Ori was made, it's, it is a 2D sprite game, but it's in it's it's 3D animation. So if you were to turn the character, turn the camera, if you could in game, you'd actually see that you know they are 3D, but it doesn't look right from the from like say behind the character, from the side of the character. So it's all done as 2D sprites, but they have some movement, so it looks right. Um, but they talk about not having any bone structure. So most games, they get fixated by how a character stands because how does a, a human stand? How does a you know, a dog stand, a bone structure around that. In this in particular, they had to rewrite tools that basically told that there is no bone structure. I want this character to bounce like this because I want it to kind of animate like this. So they, they got rid of kind of the rule book of how to animate characters in this. It's hence why their slightly proportions are slightly wrong. When you look at Ori, when it's not going to say he or she, I never, I don't really, I really knew. I'm going to say he. He, he jumps. Yeah, I've never really thought about it. And you, when you look at it, he jumps. When he actually hits the ground, he actually goes down to what they call 100 pixels. So he goes down really squished down into the ground, which gives him the evolution, evolution to jump back up. And actually, when you watch it, you can see that, yeah, there, yeah it, doesn't, it doesn't work if this was an actual mm. natural character because it, you know, bodies do not function like that. But it means that there's, there's more kind of ability for the character to play, uh, for them to play with the characters and, and give them unique looks that, aren't necessarily normally found and um as for the overall look you know um Norsica Valley of the Wind I can absolutely see it in this game as well as Princess Mononoke and it's you know it's it's a love letter to those to those films it, it's not a complete rip-off it's an absolute love letter to the more kind of organic nature of the beasts etc you know they're they're slightly weird and, and slimy and horrible um and it's, it's got a real individual look which is very very hard to do in this kind of industry how about you ryan i think the art style really plays nicely into the gameplay uh, in the same way that rayman's does as well is that a lot of the time when you are uh, animating for video games you have to make some trade-offs as for like you know responsiveness of controls doesn't allow for a lot of time for the character to warm up a movement in the way that it would mm -hmm. naturally or uh, you know, winding down a movement. Your character can't just stop. It has to kind of, you know, adjust and slow down before it can come to a full stop. And and a lot of time in video games, that could be kind of frustrating. Like I I, um, I posted a, a video on YouTube recently of me struggling to open a, uh, a cellar door on the ground in The Witcher 3 because, you know, I, I couldn't get Geralt to stand in the spot that I wanted him to stand in because of all of the uh, wind up and wind down from his 
particular animations because the you know they decided to go with a very naturalistic style so i was there for mm-hmm. like a minute and a half trying to <laughs> position myself in the right spot but um i, I think that this game and uh, rayman legends both and origins uh really factor that into the design of the world and the uh the platforming except for like a few very specific s- segments of the game aren't super precision based like everything is more kind of laid out in a way that encourages um encur- encourages you to not lose your momentum mm-hmm. to uh, be able to quickly and naturally kind of bounce between things in the way that you would see like a like a squirrel really handily you know zipping up a tree and then jumping from a branch to another branch without even thinking almost and um you know for me that really plays into the greatest strength of the game is that like i always felt like i had like a tremendous sense of uh like organic freedom and control over my character even though the character didn't control as tightly as a meat boy or as a mario or something like i i felt like like the uh, the momentum of my character and the perhaps a little bit more kind of like forgiving nature of the uh, level design made me feel confident in every jump that I would take. And, uh, and then, of course, later on, you have uh, more moves and stuff, which we'll, we'll get to later. I don't mean to jump ahead to that just yet, but more moves that make the platforming even more forgiving in a way. Um, a little bit more course correction power and stuff like that so yeah the art style for me and just the fact that like everything in the environment nothing feels out of place like everything if they don't want you to go somewhere they put like a like a root structure protruding out of a wall which you can't jump around like it nothing Mm -hmm. was Nothing felt like invisible walls. Nothing felt like an artificial boundary. Like everything felt like it was just a part of the world, which I always really dig, which is something that, you know, Rayman also does excellently, pretty consistently. I think you have to be quite careful as well with with art this good because I think it can get quite busy. If if you actually, you'll see this more if you actually bring um, Ori down to a, a halt and just see what's going mm-hmm. on around you. And you've got stuff, you know, leaves dropping from the background. There's particles mm-hmm. that are in the air. There's this, you know, slightly misty days in some of the sunken areas. Um, and as Ori runs past, like if you run past a bush, the bush will give a, a motion sway to it that you've actually had some sort of Im- impact. So it's not just a painted background. It's that you are affecting the world, even if affecting the the mm. you know the scenery behind you has no gameplay impact but it feels it makes it feel grounded that you are actually in that world a lot of that stuff is actually lost when you're playing the game because, yeah. <laughs> because you're so focused on getting from a to b in you know in either the safest or quickest route possible but actually if you if you for the people that are watching it around you and and you know, i i did this um, over the last few days I've been watching a few people do the speed runs of this game and, and actually kind of not watching what they've been doing and actually just admiring the art around it mm-hmm. um, and I, I, you know, I think it, it is a beautiful game but I think the fact that they've managed to create a game full of you know beautiful complex um, scenery and still make Ori the prime thing that your, your concentration is on yeah. I think mm-hmm. is you know, the fact that a white silhouette 
um, with you know, a little bit of lighting to, to give you guidance of where you are in the world is it seems like the simplest trick to do but clearly it must be actually quite hard this game took took four years to make um, and they account a lot of that just down to the fact that you know when things weren't working they, they threw them out they tried again and the art had to be perfect another thing that I really enjoyed about Ori and the Blind Forest is it's parallaxing and layers of just mm. the environment there's things really like really close to the player it feels like mm-hmm. and you'll see creatures skitter around and you know scurry away to sort of foreshadow what's going to happen but also there's like three or four layers behind the actual level you're playing on and they're just it's so dense but never does it feel overwhelming it all kind mm-hmm, of feels yeah. part of one another and i don't i haven't seen many games do so many layers of you know parallax scrolling as well as Ori in the blind forest yeah I, I i mean i think what you and tony are describing is the difference between a lot of art direction and great art direction because while there's so much going on in the environment, there's still it, there's still a lot of lighting and colours that are purely there to kind of guide your eye and guide you towards what's important. So they haven't forgotten that ultimately, you know, they're creating a gameplay experience and the art actually feeds into that. So even though they're, you know, if you for a minute just stop and just look at all the detail, you're like, wow, how am I not being overwhelmed by this? And it's because they, you know, they're not just using the art to, you know, to be visually pleasing. They're using it as a gameplay tool to kind of guide you through the world and, and you know, course correct you. I would say that there's no other prime example more so than the sections where you're under, a, like, I guess, the, the time limit chase sequences. Yeah. Um, where the actual the environment finally does come out of the you know the the background to to chase you. I think there's a I think that the one that most people probably would have experienced because it's right at the start of the towards the start of the game is it the the Ginso tree mm-hmm. um, where you're having to escape through this you know, tree structure up its up its trunk uh, in inside its trunk section as the 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 waters are rising below it and it's i mean it reminds me very much of of rayman's kind of the red tooth collection runs it's you know, oh, you've got mm-hmm. a, a strict time time limit there's there's nothing changes in the environment it's all the same and it's about the player skill to you know what you've learnt in that area how to get yeah. out of that environment yeah, as quick as way as possible and if you if you know if you get things wrong and it's punishing the it, it will kill you and you start again but that's where the environment suddenly does pop out you know the fact that the water is dripping and splashing across the screen chasing you as you you're going further up the pressure if you feel like you know you're a, you're half a second or a second down from where you should be the water's you know touching at your feet and you're thinking can I go just a little bit faster it's a real it's a real kind of pressurized but beautiful moment at the same time once again well worth watching someone else play it rather than experience yourself just to see actually the craziness of the art that that is on display found those sections to be a little frustrating more than anything like didn't really enjoy those as much as i was hoping that i would um i because like i'm okay with just long stretches of like rote memorization of uh platforming segments um, because, you know, there's a certain level of like, you kind of feel cool when you know the entire course and you can just zip through it and, uh, you know, you're avoiding obstacles and stuff. But they would also put in um, enemies that you would have to like slingshot yourself <laughs> from or you'd have to get them to fire a projectile. Those uh, 
those weird kind of like day of the tentacle guys that shoot things mm-hmm. at you, um, which I, I just don't like in general. But, um, and so you'd have to kind of like rely on their AI a little bit to progress in the course. And sometimes they just would not cooperate or sometimes they'd jump in the way that's opposite that they usually jump. And uh, so it felt like there was a little bit of kind of like RNG below the surface of what should be a fairly uh standardized course like the uh like you mentioned the rayman treasure chest chases they're not easy though the rayman <laughs> chest yeah, no, chases they're, they're not but they're consistent and they are exactly the same every time which wasn't ex- wasn't the same way with ori okay well, i want to get this out there because this mm-hmm. is something i've seen level this game multiple times and it's actually something i believe they've addressed in the definitive edition mm-hmm. ori and the blind forest is a hard game yes um, Eh, now more or less <laughs> more or less and and you could you could argue uh, against its aesthetics don't don't necessarily portray that this is going to be a particularly hard game but it's it's a hard game um i don't think i don't think it's in the traditionally hard camp where it's not doable for most people i think it the way it handles its its saving system um the way that it's pretty much an instant respawn a la you know, Super Meat Boy is a massive help towards conquering Ori, mm-hmm. and so I wouldn't, I wouldn't put it up there as one of the hardest platformers I've ever played. I just think it's there's a challenge there that if if you're a seasoned gamer, that there shouldn't be any real big stumbling blocks. Ironically, I think it's a game that gets easier as you play through it, as you get yeah. more abilities, mm-hmm. as you get more yeah. more life. Um, more what what do we call the, the spirit the spirit yeah. for the save points yeah yeah as you go further as you progress further you you get more of the things that help you navigate the the environment and actually the the first ginso tree kind of escape sequence is i i think the hardest one in the game and it yeah, seems probably true and it's very it's very front loaded and I, i'm not i'm not sure whether that's the correct way of doing it probably not i have heard some people on twitter say they kind of gave up with the game because of the early sections and i i don't i you know what i don't think i can really blame them because the difficulty is really intimidating at the beginning of the game and i do think that is a problem um i i think the difficulty curve is backwards um yeah i would agree yeah and it's not for me because you know having kind of mastered the mechanics now and 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 completed it for me i look back at those early sections and i don't really view them as uh, you know particularly they don't re- they don't really damage my overall opinion of the game but i can see that being a barrier for other people but isn't that i mean part of the idea of a Met- metroidvania game is the fact that when you go back to those areas that once were utter nuisances that you'd go you go back as a fully powered up um, avatar and just blitz and blind you know it's just it's not a problem at all because you've got powers to, to navigate those areas i i still think it's about you should escalate the challenge when you're going mm-hmm. through the game so yeah you get a new ability and you're like yes i can return I'll to the old walls. area yeah. and, and and clear it through and be really easy but the new area should still be challenging mm-hmm. That's what Super Metroid does. That's what Symphony, you know, Symphony of the Night does, and you know, Dark Souls is kind of a Metroidvania game, and that's what those games do as well. <laughs> Whereas this 
it, it really does get exponentially easier as the game goes does, along. Yeah. Um, I think yeah. that mainly involves the game feeling quite different and it's quite pacey as well. So when you first start running around as Ori, you weren't, I wasn't really expecting it to be kind of Sonic-esque in its kind of pace. Uh, luckily, the camera's quite far out, so you get a you know, a wide field of vision so you can see the level ahead of you and it's really good at doing that. But the way Ori attacks is slightly different to the norm, you know, and it it kind of is bouncy and squishy. And at first, when I was first did my first playthrough, I was like, yeah, I'm I'm actually struggling here because the enemies that the game feels completely different, but familiar, if that makes any sense. And, you know, the Mm. main character doesn't really handle like any other character. So when I was getting to grips with all that, I would, I'm so preoccupied with the mechanics and the, you know, everything else that I kind of, it's got a manual save system. So if you've got enough spirit, you can hold a button and it gives you a checkpoint on the floor, but you're so preoccupied with everything on screen, the visuals and the <laughs> yeah. audio, you forget to do it. And you know, yeah, and yeah. you're dying, you you go all the way back and you're like, oh. <laughs> you quickly learn that, you know, if, if you've got through a, a particularly tricky puzzle to say, it, this, this is where I, I think this is, we do talk about the game being back to front and I completely agree because of the nature of the game is that you once you've unlocked these powers you want to go back you want to re-explore the sections of the map that haven't been revealed and you do end up collecting all the bits that give you more life and more spirit that allow you eventually by the end of the game save whenever you want and kill everything you want because it has a an ability tree and it has a combat tree you know bits that you unlock by uh, obviously killing Killing the enemies in the environment, you you get little you know tokens for that, and then you can upgrade certain areas. And by the end of the game, so you, you start off and you have what they call a spirit flame, and that's just this little flame that comes out of um, Ori that can hit enemies. But of course, at the very start of the game, it's not very strong, and it'll take five, six, seven hits to kill the most basic of enemies. At the same time, mm. they're trying to fire stuff down at you, so you find yourself jumping, skipping, ducking, running away, coming back, taking a little bit more health of them. By the end of the game, <laughs> you're like, you've got it so so charged up that you just press the button once, it, they fall to the ground, mm-hmm. or you can do this, you know, it, and it's like that for it. Every time you get this uh, a new ability, the further you get through the game, you become more and more powerful. And I think that's that's a gameplay trope right there. But it you know it's one that's been done and it's well tried and tested. But it it certainly it certainly is very it, you know what's the word I don't know wrong the wrong way around top, 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 top heavy. heavy that's yeah, it yeah, yeah. it's, well, that's it's certainly the difficulty top heavy. curve though like I don't think that the difficulty was meant to really stem from the platforming like there was a a little bit of like kind of trickier segments. Um, but I think that most of the difficulty comes from the puzzle solving and the environmental puzzle solving, which mm-hmm. is, uh, yeah. which I think does ramp up pretty considerably towards the end of the game. You know, you get to that, uh, that temple where you have to like adjust gravity and run on the curved platforms and jump off right, of them right. in all weird angles. And like, that's probably like the headiest stuff in the entire game. And that's like right towards the end. And so I think that you're empowered uh, in a way to make the uh, platforming and combat more trivial, which is great because it gets you to the puzzle solving a lot more mm-hmm. um, efficiently. But just the fact that you have more powers means that, uh, you know, you have like the monkey island syndrome almost of like, okay, th- I have more things in my <laughs> pocket. That means that puzzles can be more complicated and that I can have, I can experiment with, different combinations of powers until i find the right one to uh to solve this puzzle and so you know for 
for that aspect, I think the difficulty curve was going in the right direction. And then all of the uh, solving the optional puzzles to get the pickups um, on the second or third lap around, I think, um, evened it out nicely. I, I think one of the things that makes the gameplay in this different from, from many other 2D platforming games, it, it has an ability called Bash. Um, Bash is really interesting. It's as, a, as an enemy is firing a projectile at you, you can jump lock onto that projectile and you have an arrow that tells you which way you're going to jump and the projectile goes the opposite way that you're jumping to. So I don't know if that made sense, but it does in my own mind. Um, so what they, they play a lot in this game is that there'll be, you know, certainly towards the end, there's there's areas where there's, a, say, a volcano and there's not a platform for you to stand on. So you're jumping from essentially being shot at over and over and over again, utilizing the, the you know, the enemy's own arsenal against them whilst using it as a platform um stages it's and when you actually take you you stand back from it and and take a look what sometimes what you achieve by the end of the game and think how far you've come from actually just navigating the simplest platforms which is nice when you go back and going okay i now have the ability to you know walk on walls or shoot up into the air etc um you do realize that actually you know the difficulty curve is there but maybe they've just taught you to be so proficient with the the, the arsenal of abilities that they've given you by the end that you know it's that maybe the, the difficulty curve is about right. But I think it is it's a bit hard at the start, and and clearly mm. from the correspondence yeah. we've had, clearly from free word reviews we've had, clearly from I just know reviews I've read on the internet, there is that presumption that this is a hard game for. For hardcore players. Now, what I want to ask you guys is that have played the definitive edition. Have you messed around with the lower difficulties? Does it change anything in particular? They, they say there's an easy mode. Um, does that alter what's in the environment at all? You know, one of the things that they were talking about when they put out the definitive edition was saying that they added checkpoints to the uh, those timed races. Uh, I believe I read that anyways, but in mm. my playthrough... I did not find that to be true. And maybe that's because I was on normal instead of easy or hard or whatever I played it as. But um, yeah, there were uh, there were no new checkpoints, which I was a little disappointed about. But um, yeah, in, in my experience, there, uh, there weren't any changes that made it easier apart from giving you a few more moves that you could use to uh, tackle the challenges in different ways. Do they give you a, a bigger pool of health or spirit or... Not that I don't you believe saw. so, but no. there are optional areas in the definitive edition, which are really like the greatest addition to the game. There's, uh, you know, three or four caverns that um, you can access from pretty early on in the game. Um, <laughs> they do become easier if you go to them later, but I think it's worth going to them earlier just because they uh, do reward you with some very useful um they give you the ability to like throw a stone into the air, which you can use to uh, to propel yourself off of using your bash attack. All right. um, and so you can essentially like set up your own lines of, uh, of combos, so to speak. Yeah, I think the new areas, in my experience, are kind of poorly placed because I ended up going to, a, and you know, this is part of the the gear gating adventure game that i like i don't like the term metrovania um you know i stepped into this black root area i think it's called and i just got absolutely absolutely annihilated but 
I hadn't realised that they added new features, like new abilities to the game. So I'm scratching my head thinking, I've got as much as I can get because I'd had previous experience with the original game. And there was so little information about what the Definitive Edition added, mm. you know, to the already experienced players that I was Googling it going, right, new features in a Definitive Edition. And no one was mentioning about so the light it, burst. Is it a dash mode? As well, yeah. There's a dash and there's a light burst where you throw like a light stone into the darkness and it kind yeah. of illuminates the area around you. And there was no mention of it. Like, if the, the, I know this definitive edition is supposed to be, you know, all new and improved, but they, they they should have expected original players to play the new one because they give you a discount, you know. So <laughs> these people who already knew how to play the game were then like not told that there was a new thing to go and get. And I was yeah. like thinking, where is this new thing? I don't get it. I kind of wish there was a bit better signposting. For, they they literally felt it bolted onto the world, and they probably were. But um, I, I just don't think they're all well-paced. And I just ended up like, yeah, there's nothing worse than getting stuck in a game and just getting your phone out and Googling it, because it just sucks you out of the, you know, the experience entirely. And when it takes 15 minutes to work out an answer, you're like, well... I have to say, I, I, and I don't know if Josh would agree with me this, I, I don't think, for a Metroidvania game, I... I don't think it's a particularly complex one. Like, there's there's not areas of the map. There's secret areas, but you know they're not like incredibly hard to find. There's not whole sections of the map that are completely locked off. You don't need to complete it entirety to find a whole other section. You know, as you progress through the game, I think it's it's a fairly simple um, you know, version of these kind of games. It's like the ability. I, I don't know. I, I this isn't actually a genre that I'm particularly. Um, okay with I, I, I play them, and I don't actually like backtracking in games a lot. I'm I think some of that maybe as I get older, like my time becomes more precious, and mm. I'm more about moving forward. Um, this actually has changed my mind a little bit. I, I've been going through this recently, the podcast apparently, which is you know trying uh, genres that are traditionally I've kind of moved away from. Um, I I enjoyed my new kind of found power and coming back to areas that I'd previously done, but there, there is I, I've got a litany of games which haven't actually stuck with me in this in this style, but I don't think this is a particularly involved um, map layout. It look I mean we've got yeah. a, a still here of the map layout, and it, to me it almost looks like the side of a dark that Dark Souls poster of mm. you know, working up a tree etc. Um, but it, it's not crazy looking, is it? I mean, for me, it, it's kind of just a series of levels that just yeah. run into each other yeah. um i for you know the best um i say the best my favorite metroidvania uh layouts tend to be the ones that kind of loop back on themselves and have you know cool shortcuts back to the you know save points and stuff like that you couldn't you can't really do that with ori in the blind forest just because of the way the save system works and the way the checkpoint system works why would you need to unlock a shortcut to a you know a save room mm. if you've you're bringing the save room with you so it's kind of less impressive from that regard but i think you know the the individual um levels in of themselves i think they're really well designed um and i think there's a lot of fun platforming and as ryan has already mentioned there's some really thoughtful puzzle design in the game i just don't think the world as a whole is as intricate, you know, intricately, uh, you know, put, put together as mm. something like Super Metroid, where you know you you you'll find a shortcut and you go, oh my god, I'm back here. How did I, I'm mm. back at my ship? <laughs> oh my god, this is amazing. Yeah. Whereas with this, it's just oh, new area. That's nice. 
Um, but yeah, I, I think, you know, I don't think it's a huge negative um, to the game just because, as I said, those individual levels are, are so well made. And, and I can't, I'm, you know, I'm always impressed that a game just lets you go from one level to another without a loading screen or anything like that. So, yeah, I, I think it works. I just don't think it's particularly intricate. I remember at the time people talking about the yeah, it's criminal for a game like this not to have a fast travel system around it that you'd have that you have to go say you know from the sorrow pass or the sunken glades all the way back down to um you know the moon grotto right at the very start and i i actually didn't find that. i i found that the yeah. fact, you know when you needed to get from a to b that the map the world wasn't that big it it's you know it, at worst case scenario mm-hmm. it might be 10 minutes maybe to get from utter top echelon back down to the right-hand corner yeah. of the map. Um, and certainly once you've unlocked, I mean, if, if, I don't know how you guys played it, but I, you know, I wanted to find everything in the world. I, I eventually yeah. found every collectible, all the things. I missed out on the 100% achievement because I missed one tiny mm. little corner in one <laughs> of the levels that you can only do once and not go back to. So I got 99.9% of the world. So that was not annoying at all. Um, but it, it meant that, you know, when I knew that I had to make, oh, I didn't necessarily have to backtrack because the game's always pushing you forward to, to the to the next kind of story beat. But if you want to go back and once you've got those yeah. new abilities, rediscover stuff, it was just a case of looking at the map, realizing that every area mm-hmm. was connected. I'd unlocked all the areas so I could easily track my way through. And I love the parachute ability. Um, that's yeah, one yeah. of my favorite things in this game. It's you know, is exactly what it is. If when the, there's a lot of windy aisles in this game that you know blow you up through sections and uh, equally you can you can make yourself glide back down and i always enjoyed moving from the very top of the levels back down to the bottom and feeling like i'm getting deeper underground um yes i i you know i didn't feel like it it needed a you know a way to quick travel but i believe that is something that they they once again added in the definitive edition yeah yeah um yeah originally with the definitive edition they originally said that you could um it was basically not a whole new game, which a definitive edition is. You have to start again, which was kind yeah. of a gripe with me. I was like, yeah. oh, I've got to start again, which, you know, in hindsight, I enjoyed playing through it again. But ultimately, I did want to go back and get that 1%. Like, I was like, you, Tony, missing a couple percent thinking, oh, I want to go back and get it. Because the original game had you locked out of your save once you finished it, which is just a, a massive oversight for a game like so this. So annoying. <laughs> like, if you're going to do one of these games, man, like, give me the opportunity to just run around afterwards. Like, it's so arbitrary that they didn't do it. And we got a few yeah. save slots, so you can, you know, you can know that you're in the final area and then just go, yeah, go the, adventuring. No, but if you're there, like, day one or week one playing it and you, you, you do the boss, and you're like, oh, yeah, okay, cool, you know, oh. I can't go back into my save. Like there has to be, there has to be a certain wave of people who who tell that story to the <laughs> other people. And I think I was in that wave of people thinking, well, I can't go back to my save now. So maybe I'll pass the information on and let people know to copy your save before you do. So, which is, you know, it's just frustrating. And it, ultimately, it sold me the definitive edition because I wanted to get it just out of spite. <laughs> you know, I'll give you four quid just out of spite. Urgh. But you know, the the, the fast travel system i didn't even realize it was an addition i always thought it was there which is a testament to how well <laughs> ori moves through the environment i just didn't see it as a new thing so you uh, go from the spirit wells i assume yeah you travel between them okay. but like i said i didn't know they were new it was just like ori moves so well in the original game uh, because of this the, the, the agility and the speed that i never really saw it as a massive bonus do you know what i mean it's just like oh, okay yeah fast travel that was in the original no no it wasn't <laughs> not at all <laughs> I think the real victory of the uh, the new moves that you obtain throughout the game is that every one 
um, with the exception of one I'll get to in a minute, um, everyone for me felt like it was both exactly what I wanted at the time and also still surprising. You know, like mm. I'd see things that I couldn't get to and I always knew like, okay, I'm going to get some sort of ability that will allow me to get in there. Yeah, um, and that's then, the way of these. Yeah, and then when I when I finally got the ability, um, pretty often it was like, oh, wow, like this this will help me get there, but like I didn't expect it to happen in this way. Um, the most surprising of which being that kind of like slingshot ability, which is brilliant and kind of the game's uh, mm. probably central conceit if it had like one new idea it was bringing to the table. But, um, you know, just throughout the game, the only one that I was kind of underwhelmed by when I got it was the uh, ability to stick onto walls, which you didn't it was really... Like a cheat you didn't really want beforehand like i was happy enough just doing the like uh like meat boy my way up the walls you know you can just like hop on the walls and uh run Mm -hmm. up like a squirrel and that's fine um later on they do introduce some like moving platforms that you need to uh to really hang on to um otherwise you'll fall off or you'll trigger um there are kind of like some platforms that appear and disappear whenever you jump kind of like in mario galaxy um but yeah apart from those like individual puzzles like you hadn't really run into anything that made you want that ability before you got it um which is a little bit of a lost opportunity because all the rest were like really exciting when i got these new moves like oh this is brilliant and it made me because i was just kind of like picking up all of the collectibles like as I went like both times through even though I know that it's probably more efficient for me to just wait to the end of the game and <laughs> Who does that? get everything then like it was so exciting for me like every time I got a new ability to basically just run through the whole world and say like oh now I can get here now I can get here and now I can do this and it's so much faster to go over here and yeah so much fun I think there's a couple of missed opportunities actually you get charge jump right at towards the end of the game which is mm-hmm. you know, obviously the ability to jump really high it, it f- fires you up with a, like a little rocket um and that's you get that right at the end of the game and it feels like just as you get the power you're kind of going into the final you know level area and it's you know it's you can go back and obviously play with different areas and, and find it a lot easier but it, it you know I, I wanted more from that there is a couple of nice bits right on that last level where you have to stick to walls charge jump into an area, then um, maybe bash off an enemy, stick to walls, charge jump from that. Um, it's yeah, it, I like it when it combines those things. Mm-hmm. Um, also, I, there's a few areas which I think they should have done more of. There's I remember putting a lever that moved the platform across and um, like cut out this lava flow, mm. but then you were the wrong side of the lava flow, and there was two platforms with two different levers, and I was putting them trying to work out all. Well, if that one goes there, then I can jump there, but then I'll get hit by the lava flow there. And it took me you know, five or ten minutes to, to work out, actually, I needed to jump kind of between these things and catch the platform as it was guiding back through this and it would be the right way. And I really enjoyed that. I, I wanted maybe a bit more variety in the game that was a bit more puzzle-solving rather than just jumping, mm. gliding, bashing, mm-hmm. jumping, gliding, bashing over and over again. I'd, I would have liked that a bit more. I think that comes back to it not being the, the best you know, um, Metroidvania game, it kind of, it doesn't really do too much of that stuff, you know, like a, like a Castlevania or, or a Metroid, you know, they, they will 
puzzle that you know your brain until you just think oh what's going on whereas this game it kind of it gives you a few puzzles and it just kind of takes them away and you never really see them again mm, has that um, moved the boulder around and like block this lava flow etc yeah. i thought that was using your bash to kind of fire around the, the environment mm-hmm. stuff like that I, I really enjoyed when it came up um but it's it just wasn't there enough it was on maybe three or four sections but, and, and then the rest it was just about the platform it's like the mario galaxy thing you'd rather have it there and impress you and go away than it overstates welcome and you get bored of it you know mario galaxy one and two are infamous for giving you a level dedicated to one mechanic and you never see it again you know i'd rather see it like hi bye and you're like yeah Yeah. i like that and wanting more is better than resenting it But at the same time like once you're fully upgraded by the end of the game i think ori becomes like maybe for me like the most fun video game character that i've ever controlled and just the the freedom of movement and the freedom of uh almost kind of like a freedom of creative expression that I have in utilizing those controls to do some pretty amazing things. Like it kind of felt for me like a, like a Tony Hawk or like a sunset overdrive or something. Like Mm -hmm. I almost like, I, I would love to see this engine and this character being, uh, used for, um, like community created challenge rooms or, uh, you know, just some other expression of this character. Like, I don't want this character and this awesome control set to just end at the end of this game because I think there's still a lot of potential to create some really interesting platforming challenges. And some of that potential, once again, uh, referring to the Definitive Edition here, is this guy game became quite a, a speed-running game. Um, mm, yeah, yeah. There's a there's Perfect a whole community that. that yeah that that kind of got got themselves around this and. There's there's actually an achievement in the uh, the original release, which is you know go through the game without dying. And you know, as always, I look at that and go, <laughs> uh huh. <laughs> um, I, 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 there there is a counter that you can find that tells you how many times you've died. And you know, Ryan, I think on the original game you died four hundred and fifty two times or something like that. Well, you can like see that. my counter. <laughs> Yes, yeah, so, so if I oh, go no. and compare stuff like, <laughs> so I was like, okay, well, yeah, and mm. there's my counter at six hundred and something <laughs> odd times. But, and th- this is going off the point I was making, but I will continue with this for a second because it, mm. it amuses me. So, as somebody that if I died in a game six hundred and twenty-eight times, say, like I should be furious, right? If that's, but it it does the beautiful thing that um, Super Meat Boy does. You know, death in itself is not a punishment. Death in itself is the fact that you didn't quite get something right. And it's the fact that you spawn back into the world mm-hmm. instantaneously. Now, if you obviously, yeah, it, it requires you to to utilize your save points to, to ease the frustration. But to say, say there's a tr- particularly tricky puzzle that you haven't quite worked out or there's a particularly tricky jump that is just catching you because you haven't got enough life. You can try it over and over again. It's instantaneous. Like you die, you come back in. You die. Like the penalty of death is there because you haven't got past the ob- obstacle. But it's not that frustration of like, oh my god, have I got to reload this game again? And I know, Josh, this is something that you're very, you know, you've you've always expressed the fact that Super Meat Boy has that ability to get you straight back in the a- in the action. Other games have certainly, you know, followed that suit. But I think Ori, it it follows that that methodology absolutely perfectly. And we've talked about it, but, you know, I I think it's worth just really hammering this point home that these uh, soul links, these save points that we can uh, that we can place ourselves like that is like a 
like a revolutionary system. Like that's essentially kind of like working in a save state into the world. Like, you know, not to this exact same way, like, uh, um, but I, I think it's kind of on par with what Braid was doing in, it was using kind of emulator-like tricks to make, uh, you know, impossible jumps and uh, feats that would have been, that would have required like a uh, tool-assisted level of manual dexterity um, possible. Like this, this is a way of, um, of saying that, you know, my, it, or it's a way of also kind of like ramping up the challenge for yourself. If you feel a section's too easy, kind of like, a, mm. um, kind of like destroying the checkpoints and shovel night, or, um, mm. I just think it, it's so clever, the ability to place checkpoints anywhere you want yeah. and just to be able to respawn from there. It's, it's just a quick save system, man. It's been in games, yeah, for, yeah. <laughs> PC games for many years. But no, I, I, I agree. That's that true. <laughs> for me, though, it's just how well integrated into mm-hmm. the overall game design it is. So quick saving in, uh, you know, Fallout or Doom or yeah, something like you, that. Yeah, you interact it, and doing it. It, it feels, whenever it feels I do like it, cheesy, it does, isn't it? Yeah. It feels like cheating. <laughs> Whereas here, because well, there's no resource turned, that you're expending. Yeah, exactly. It feels like resource uh, resource management. Right. So when you're going through a hard platforming section, you have to ask yourself, "Do I save here, or oh, I know, is yeah. this bit easy enough that I can get through <laughs> and save later on?" You know, and I love that because then, as you know, as Ryan's already said, it's kind of you're kind of customizing your difficulty using this system. Now, I have to admit, I, I kind of struggled with this system early on, and and Darren's already mentioned that there were parts of the game where he just forgot about it and went all the way back to where he last saved. He was like, oh. <laughs> the spirit well, yeah. Yeah. Which and, are good in and, themselves because people don't know that they, they completely feel your health and your, your yeah. spirit life, which can be very handy, but there's only one yeah. per area. But as as Ryan said once once you get your head around this new system i i think it, it it is fantastic i think it's such a good way of having that quick save feature but it not be not feel cheap it it feels earned mm-hmm. um whenever you use it if i did a quick save i jumped maybe took a hit or two along the way and then kind of got through the other side realized that there would be another area i could save to i would find myself like almost on purpose killing myself to actually regain a bunch of of life hmm. knowing that now i i understand how the puzzle system's laid out that i could do it in a more you know pr- proficient way yeah. and actually time i got to the other side i'd then save off i've yes it's probably why i, I went through 628 lives <clears throat> but it it meant that I felt good that you know i had kind of little little bit gained the system because i'd seen what was to come but never felt particularly angry about dying. I mean, I th- I, that's a real hard feat, I think, for any game to get across is when you don't actually feel... Like, I mean, imagine in Uncharted if I died 628 times. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> yeah, you know, giving the player complete... Not complete freedom, but enough freedom and control over the save system or difficulty is... You know, I want to see more of it in games. Uh, Bitrip Runner 2 does it in the fact that you can jump over the checkpoint if you're up for the challenge of getting to the end without getting hit or you know if you're not and you know you know you're not brilliant at the game because the the criticism of the first one was that it was really hard and punishing and there was no checkpoint the second one you can run through the checkpoint if you want or because it's a running and jumping game just jump over it that kind of control and freedom it just makes the player feel like they want to invest in the world more 
so I, I died a lot and I'm not going to hide behind the fact that I was an expert at this game and I took risks that I didn't need to. Watching people one life this, I mean, this is, it's nothing new. I mean, this is often the case of any of these games, but the fact that the developer has gone on to, to a knowledge that people were doing this, added a whole mode for it specifically, which I, I really like that they've gone, oh, fine, you know, you can prove it by doing it this way rather than just doing it and, you know, maybe just filming it on screen, etc. Um, I, I think it's understanding your community and how the game maybe evolved further than they expected. Um, it's not for me. The same way as speed running isn't for me, um, but it, it is fascinating to watch people on YouTube go through sections where, yeah, I I struggled and you know just perfecting it over and over again. And uh, yeah, it's the the kind of game where yeah, I think you know that's what builds a community around that when they actually understand what they produce as a as a title. But guys, did did any of you one life uh, Ori in the Blind Forest? You are mental. <laughs> no. <laughs> Just put it on. Just check. <laughs> nah, it's, it's a really good idea to give players all kinds of options. You know, like re- restricting people after they've purchased the game is isn't great. But also to flourish the options beyond easy, normal, hard. You know, to, to this mode is you know it's brilliant that people do it, and they've obviously checked out. You know, awesome games done quick and summer games done quick, and they've gone. You know what? Let's make a mode around it. It's kind of it reminds me of um, like modes like this that come around. Because of communities, it reminds me of the cat and mouse from Project Gotham Racing. In the yeah. they, you know, they ended up putting that into the game because people made their own fun. They're like, actually, you know, that that was such a good thing. You know, we'll we'll introduce it into the game as an actual mode. And I'm sure there's an achievement bound to it. So that would probably feel like a huge achievement. Right. We need to do. I can't believe we've managed to get this far into the show and actually not talk about the music <laughs> or the sound design and the music. Um, Music and sound was by Gareth Cooker. Um, he he. This was his first game, or around his first game. So he 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 did a number mm. of short films before this title. Um, he's done com- TV commercial work, um, and I think he he was one of these. Uh, he's a composer that you know was on all these different sites that you know you could look, listen to his music and kind of just getting your stuff out there to be seen or heard. Um, it's very important for people now to be discovered. And this is something we've seen on indie titles time and time again, where people have just put their stuff up for free and then have become full-blown, um, you know, uh, producers. I, I guess in, in some regards, or just you know, conductors. It's and I love it. I love the fact that this this I'm gonna say he was a nobody, but this has propelled his work into a, a different level. So like he's he's doing the music on Ark. Uh, survival evolve was a massive pc title coming out and looking at his his forthcoming projects the projects now he's he's got the literary of new stuff in the works so it's fantastic that you know this game has has helped him uh you know push him into a, an industry that's quite hard to get into it's a beautiful score it's a it's a mm-hmm. really much like the you know the visuals on display it's a really rich and complex pieces of orchestral work it feels like it's it's from a a producer that that has been doing this for years. This this isn't just his first collaboration. It actually it, it's it's one of these things where as as the the levels get you know a little bit harder, the the music kind of ramps up ar- around it. Um, some of the 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 time levels, you know, the crescendo that you get time you get to the the top of the music is is you know it makes your heart pound. But equally, it's really soft and gentle and emotive at the times that it it needs to be to portray its its story. I just 
it's an absolutely beautiful put together piece of work. Yeah, he has been doing a few indie games before. I, I was familiar with him from In Momentum, which is a kind mm-hmm. of like it's like those uh, those extra abstract Mirror's Edge levels where you have to kind of parkour around this uh, empty white space full of floating blocks and stuff. Um, so you know he he's been around for a little bit, but this is by far like the biggest project that he's ever undertaken and the most public probably. Um, and the one that I think that he's really starting to be propelled from. Um, but yeah, it's it's a lovely score. The soundtrack is great. The soundtrack doesn't include the title theme, which is kind of the most recognizable <laughs> song mm. in the game, which I realize, I guess, is because he put it up for free on his band camp or something and decided like, oh, you know, they can get it from there. They don't need to you know i'm not going to charge them for that and put it on the soundtrack but it just feels weird to not have that on the soundtrack the music was at its most appealing for me um during those sections where it's timed and you're trying to escape uh from the water and um the volcano and and those sections just because just because i think they did such a good job of kind of matching the tempo of the gameplay um, in those moments of the music. Mm-hmm. Um, but actually, I have to be honest, the kind of general music that plays throughout the game didn't really stick in my head. Um, that, As I said, those moments do. But yeah, I the a lot of the music actually kind of um, failed to sink in for me. I'm going to agree with Josh. It is really well-produced music. And, you know, if you put it up against the, the AAA games, you, you, you think, oh, that guy's been in the business for years. You know what I mean? It sounds mm-hmm. really well done. And it's also got like a, it's, it's, it's got shades of a cameo kind of rare-esque quality to it. But the music yeah, yeah. <laughs> didn't really kind of, it didn't really sink into my brain. Like when you say a game name, like the music automatically plays in your head. But if, you know, Ori in the Blind Forest, the music fits the moment. But it never really, you don't have the earworm effect, you know, it doesn't stick in your head and you're not humming it when you stop playing it. And, you know, that's not a, that's not a, it is a criticism, but it's not really a negative thing. It's just, I never really sat down and listened to it afterwards. It is a score that I've taken outside of the game uh, and listened to, you know, on my travels at work, etc. Um, and I think it, it works, you know, tremendously well um, outside of uh, the game itself, so which I think is always a, a strong, a strong recommendation for me mm. anyway. Right, so now we've fully explored our feelings on Ori and the Blind Forest. I think we're, we'll move to our community and uh, you know we'll, we'll get our, our summaries at the end. But um, as this is a fairly new game, obviously the, it helps that the, um, you know that's not I'm saying the generalization that the uh, new games we get the most uh, feedback on, but it certainly helps uh, it's, it's fresh in people's minds. And we uh, we got an email. We always like it when people send us email. Somehow emails become more important <laughs> than any other form nowadays. But we got an email from Ben Monroe. Hey, Ken and Rinse crew. I'm not usually one for action puzzle platforming games. I've always found the rinse and repeat nature of the games like Spelunky and Rayman Legends to be rather frustrating. Despite this, I was sold on Ori from the very first moment I saw it. Being an avid fan of Studio Ghibli, I was immediately drawn into the gorgeous art style and enchanting soundtrack of Ori, so much so that it was a day one purchase. That heart-wrenching opening scene had been exactly what I had been expecting. The gameplay, however, was not. 
Little over an hour in, Ori was turning out to be a very different game than I had anticipated. I wasn't quite sure if my patient would see me through to the end. At certain points, the difficulty would spike dramatically, demanding a level of skill I didn't think I'd be able to match. On more than one occasion, I remember quitting the game in frustration, vowing to delete it and never return. But I didn't. The mystery to be found in exploring the world, the emotion that each of those brief story moments could impact, was enough to keep me coming back. Enough to make me grit my teeth, knuckle down and soldier on through to the end. Unfortunately, I found the end of Ori Tale to be somewhat disappointing, but I can't deny that the journey getting there had been unlike any other game I had experienced. A mixture of frustration, enchantment and experience I won't forget. Bailey Boy says... This game was planted firmly on my radar after its spectacular introduction at Microsoft's 2014 E3 presentation. The game's rich, Studio Ghibli-esque aesthetic and luscious animation stood out even among a string of other higher-profile announcements that year. Greeted by that heartbreaking intro, a masterful piece of visual storytelling worthy of Disney at its peak, the game immediately gives you all the motivation you need to see Ori's adventure to its equally moving conclusion. From there, the story takes a backseat to reveal a surprisingly punishing 2D platformer with a focus on exploration and locomotion. The game wears its inspiration on its sleeve. Playing like a love child of Super Meat Boy and the recent UbiArt Rayman titles, set out across a single large map gated by Metroidvania-style progression. From a simple starting move set, the game's upgrade path quickly kits you out with a huge range of abilities which increase your options of traversing its world, dealing with its enemies, and meeting increasingly difficult but expertly crafted platforming challenges the game throws your way. The abilities also open up paths previously closed off to you in a very organic way, using your increasing mobility as a means to reach previously inaccessible areas and collectibles while pushing the ever-compulsive map completion percentage closer to 100%. The bash upgrade is a particular highlight, turning enemies from obstacles that slow player movement into yet another tool to slingshot you around the environment. By the game's latter stages, Ori becomes the protagonist of an almost unparalleled agility, his, her, momentum limited only by the player's dexterity. This empowering of the player is the game's greatest strength and allows its designers to create some truly devious level design, confident in the fact that they've given you all the tools you need to overcome it. While the innovative manual checkpoint mechanic mitigates the frustration of failure to an extent, the game is not without its failings, however. Combat lacks punch and polish, and the bash mechanic renders it almost pointless, making it far quicker and more efficient to simply skip past enemies than engage them. The enemies themselves also lack attention to visual design seen elsewhere in the game, many of them just amorphous, different colored blobs. Conversely, the environment are occasionally overdrawn and visually busy for a game that requires pixel-perfect precision, notably in the various chase sequences that, while spectacular to look at, become a rote trial and error rather than a test of skill. Finally, the game's relative brevity doesn't always allow its numerous and complex movement mechanics to breathe. The high jump received late in the game, for example, required only a handful of times before the credits roll, whereas entire levels were built around earlier upgrades. These are minor gripes, however, and only stand out because the quality displayed elsewhere. 
Ori in the Blind Forest is a heady mix of beautiful art and sound, subtle but compelling storytelling, and precise mechanics, which for the most part work together in harmony to form a very satisfying whole. Martin McFly, 3004, he says, One of my favourite games of the year. You would have to have a heart of stone to not have a lump in the throat during the opening sequence, and then the game itself is a very competent Metroidvania-style platform. I wonder how many times that word will occur in the podcast. The mechanics aren't as polished as the graphics, with some of the fighting and movement feeling a little bit loose. There are some exciting escape sequences, but apart from these, a lot of the level design seemed a little linear for a game of this type. Oh, yeah, still a lot of fun despite these shortcomings. The visual style is breathtaking, the skills are fun, and the feeling of getting stronger as the game progresses is perfectly handled. Some of the final sections are the most imaginative of the whole game, and the final sequence is just awesome as the opening. Okay, Jakob G42 says, The first time I played Ori in the Blind Forest, I stopped just short of the end. Not because I didn't like it, but because I actually was enjoying it so much that the idea of it ending broke my heart a little bit, and somehow stopping playing seemed like a better option. I came back to it recently and played it to completion, and I'm so glad I did. The opening is what everyone talks about for this game, but what was likely unique to me is that when playing through the second time, I burst into tears as soon as Ori's happy music started. I think I may have been particularly emotionally vulnerable that afternoon, but knowing what was to come made even those few happy moments just crushing to me. I would mostly attribute this to the simply unbelievable score. Without it, I'm not sure the game's nature, fantasy, aesthetic would have stuck with me. But the music instantly put me in a place where I was ready to take on the lovely, if not unpredictable, story beats. In terms of gameplay, the bash ability was a total game changer. I enjoyed the platforming before and the custom checkpoint system definitely added a nice amount of player control, but Bash turned the game into a beautiful sort of dance. I feel like I rarely touched the ground after getting it and the platforming seemed to get much more ambitious after this point. The joy of Ori's movement in the late game brought a real smile to my face. There were several impressive set pieces throughout the game, and I liked all of them. The last one especially felt wonderfully frantic, but nothing matched the escape from the flooding tree. The rushing water combined with the first time really using Bash and that absolutely incredible score make this my favourite escape sequence in a game ever. When I first beat it, I realised my hands were shaking. It'll always be what I think of when I think of the game. In terms of flaws, all I can really say is the combat, with the exception of MASH, is never really interesting, and I found out in the very late late game that I had infuriatingly missed a couple of pickups in the tree, so I couldn't 100% it. That being said, I really truly loved Ori and the Blind Forest. Mr. Flashbacks says, Dear Kenyon's Podcast, I haven't posted on message boards since the early 2000s, but upon learning that you would be discussing Ori in the Blind Forest, I was compelled to break my long internet silence, if for no other reason than to share a deep appreciation for a game that is very close to my heart. I do not say these words lightly, as the last time I felt about a game this way was when I played Chrono Trigger for the first time in 1998. 
I owe my love for this game to my lovely girlfriend, who is not much of a gamer, but has a very keen eye for art, although she does have a tendency to mix up the colors blue and black at times. Hmm. <laughs> Early on in our relationship, I had learned that she loved Limbo, but had only played a few games on occasion. Knowing that video games are a huge passion in my life, she urged me to introduce her to a few more that she may share in my passion. Is she not wonderful? <laughs> yes, she is. <laughs> I promptly made her a Steam account and got her a few games like Undertale and To the Moon, but nothing really stuck. But seeing as how she does have a passion for art and being an amazing painter herself, I figured maybe she could find a liking for Ori, if for nothing else than the amazing visuals, and boy did she. Within less than a minute, she was hooked, and so was I. The sound direction, the visuals, the compelling characters, and the heartfelt intro with Ori bonding up with his adoptive mother and losing her shortly thereafter, reminiscent of the Pixar film Up, Ori had us firmly in its paws. Not enough praise can be bestowed upon Ori for its art direction, but the game itself also worked tremendously well for me to demonstrate to my girlfriend what proper video games are at their core. It was a matter of recognizing patterns, determining the proper course of action, and then proper execution. The level design and enemy placements worked in such a way that nothing ever felt cheap or impossible. It was only a matter of diligence. I was amazed to find that my girlfriend, who is not very confident in their gaming abilities, to put it mildly, was actually determined to progress on her own rather than handing the controller over to get her past anything. I do admit I initially started playing the game to get a little ahead of her so that I can help figure out if she gets stuck, but uncovering the map and picking up Orb soon became an obsession, and before I knew it, I was making a mad dash towards the end through an erupting volcano with a giant bird chasing me down. It would be a disservice not to at least mention the amazing soundtrack. It is the most played piece of work on my phone, second only to the Caterman's podcast. Aw. <laughs> But to be fair, the podcast has it beat in terms of volume. <laughs> and sound to play. <laughs> Drop it. This game cannot be recommended enough to everyone who has any interest not only in video games, but in art in general. I believe Ori will stand the test of time to become one of the timeless classics to age with grace and beauty to be enjoyed for generations to come. Thank you very much, everybody. Um... As always, thank you very much for the feedback. Uh, we love reading it on the show. Uh, quite often, they succinctly sum up all the points we've made, and it's taken us an hour and a half to do so, which is always frustrating, but <laughs> nevertheless. But some, you know, once again, just to pick out some some stuff from all of those, it seems like the difficulty was something that that tripped over people, um, but some people embraced it. Um, art design and music, once again, stood out from from many other games we've talked about on this, on this show so um, yeah thank you very much for, for the, the feedback as we like to do if you can sum a game up in just three words your experience with this game we like to put it out there on Twitter uh, a bit of fun to do on the day of recording and we did just that and so we shall start off with Darren brand bullet he says or she says dulcet sugar gliding mm -hmm. jam man 39 says gameplay over story tweakute says pretty bastard hard Ada Black says too bloody hard Jacob 42 joy through mechanics Jade Phoenix 13 incredible escape sequences thank you very much guys right um, let's see if we can sum up our feelings on this game in a little bit of time so yeah Darren 
Ori in the Blind Forest. This better be good. This is your last summary for a while, so. <laughs> Yeah, I'm, I'm really good at summaries. Yeah. I end up just repeating myself in a short, in a, about a minute and then <laughs> regretting it. No, yeah, um, or in the Blind Forest is, it really is something special. Um, you know, it is a Metroidvania and I do feel like the game kind of starts off on a, on a wrong foot in terms of difficulty. I feel like your your attack needs to be a little bit stronger. The, the thing about other Metroidvania games is that your basic attack is pretty much, you know, your go-to should all else fail. Whereas I found in this game, because you're not upgraded yet, I feel like your initial attack's pretty well, less than average, and therefore it kind of harms the difficulty, as we heard in the community feedback. Um, but overall, you know, it is an absolute visual treat. Um, when like, it is a visual treat, don't get me wrong, but like you said, Tony, you don't really notice it when you're playing. It's that rock band effect of <laughs> there's actually stuff going on in the background when I'm playing. Like you, you're so focused on the game that you kind of miss it. Um, you know, whizzing by you, but you know, if you look at the uh, the trailer or you go to Steam and check out the, the store page, you'll just see just how amazingly visual uh, the, you know, the, the game is. It is just a, yeah, it's a sight to behold. And I kind of wish more 2D games would go in this direction. You know, uh, obviously not every studio has 50% worth of amazing artists to do so, but I kind of wish that Ori would set a trend for other developers to, you know, achieve that. I know Dust Elysian Tales is similar, and that was a one man, uh, one man affair ish. Mm-hmm. And you know, Rayman Oranges and Lemons. You know, that's a, a you know a really good Ubi art game. But you know, I really appreciate Microsoft for just sticking out this this one out. And you know, I guess it was a gamble. I, I'm I'm not too sure. I'm not not a businessman, but you know, Microsoft just said make the game you want to make. Uh, and the fact they're in a remote location was probably you know low risk financially for them. But you know, they they stuck it out and. They, they prevailed and now they look cool <laughs> uh, but you know or in the blind forest it is a it's a really good game but just don't expect the best metroidvania but do expect a solid platformer and it will yeah yeah it will make you shout at your tv beautiful ryan this is uh probably one of my favorite games of this generation like this stands out to me as being uh, just one that i just love to pick up and play like everything I think works together so well. Um, it, it's lovely to look at. I, I just love running around that world and exploring. Uh, I like spending the extra time, like collecting all the collectibles and trying to figure out like how to get to those weird tucked away places that seem impossible at first. Um, I love just the control of Ori and being able to run through the world with such momentum and uh, being able to just dash through the previously explored areas. There's just so much freedom. You feel so capable and just everything works together to create kind of an unmatched experience. This really is, I think, one of the standout games that I would classify as being kind of you know near perfect in my estimation which is a kind of a short list already but you know there are a couple of unfortunate choices perhaps like i think that the difficulty of those um escape the tree sequences or or whatever they be while you're running away from the uh from the wind or from the lava or the water you know, while i was able to get through them it sounds like not everybody was and the fact that you know they they take away some of the 
mechanics that the rest of the game offers you, a lot of the crutches that you can lean on in other circumstances, like the soul links, those uh, checkpoints that you can place anywhere you, you cannot utilize in those sequences. And so I feel kind of sad for those who don't have the, I guess, just innate like reflexes or um, ability to get through those sequences because like there really is a an incredible game on the other side and um but you know that's it's kind of the nature of, of games sometime which is a bit unfortunate but overall like i'm just massively in love with this game and we'll continue to play it and replay it over the years i'm sure just on that point i don't know shouldn't do this in the, <laughs> the wrap up but I don't know whether to praise developers for absolutely believing that people will master their mechanics. They have such belief that they can, that people can do. If you take Rayman for for instance, where it has that same chase sequences, but they're not like integral to the continuation of the, right. the story of those games. So they're, they're kind of these extra difficult things that you can, I'm pretty sure you can participate that doesn't necessarily unlock stuff. If I remember rightly, um, so yeah, I, I, I don't know if it's just a you know a belief from them that you know you'll get good enough. Just you know they're not impossible, and you're just you're eventually just push your way through it. But you know, knowing some of the people I know, that that probably wasn't the case. There are some external factors like um, you know accessibility, perhaps. Uh, in this, this might be less of a problem since it moved to the PC. But you know, let's say somebody for whatever reason doesn't have uh, the same you know, Excerpts. control over yeah. both hands yeah. that we would like, it could be uh, like a real kind of wall. Whereas everything else in the game feels like there's a level of forgiveness built into it. Mm. Yeah. I see. Josh. Yeah. So I, I mean, I largely agree with uh, Ryan on this one. Um, I think Ori in the blind forest is uh, an aesthetic tour de force. I think the animation and the art direction is just so so good um and it's really above and beyond any um any 2d experience i've i've had the pleasure of experiencing i just i just think this is the new gold standard for uh for animation in video games it's just it's so incredible um uh, and and also the game design's really good i i I was really impressed by how um, you know well designed the levels are and and the platforming sections and how all your upgrades really kind of change the way you interact with the environment and the enemies within them and the puzzles uh, especially in the latter half of the game ended up being quite uh, quite clever and really fun to experience. Um, as has already been mentioned um, in uh, Darren's summary, um, I do think the game is a bit top-heavy in terms of difficulty, mm-hmm. and that is a flaw. I'm, I'm not going to, you know, make excuses for it. That is an issue, but I think if you can push past it, I think the rest of the game is is such a pleasure that uh, it's yeah, it's I I think it's absolutely one of one of my favorite games from the last couple of years. It's it's fantastic. From my point of view, I, I completely agree with the the art design. I, it's it's something that makes this game pop out from from the crowd. Um, separate of anything else, I think this is you know a love letter to what is achievable in that kind of mixed three D two D kind of sprite engine. It's completely proprietary. It's 
um, tech that they did a lot in this game. But, you know, and it's taken four years to put together. But it really shows. It shows the care of love and art that isn't always capable, I think, from a lot of teams. And, and isn't always available to a lot of teams. You know, different goals for a set for different projects. And But I think, you know, it it's a standout piece. Also, I think it's strangely, I think it's a game that has fallen a little bit under the radar. I think the fact that, you know, it's an Xbox One stroke PC exclusive. I think there's a whole team of people out there on in on the PlayStation side of stuff that I think, you know, would love to be able to get their hands on this and experience it a bit more. And it's, it's always one of those ones where, you know, I think exclusivity works um, to sell consoles and, and, and a vision. But it's a shame that other people aren't necessarily jumping onto this the way that I think it deserves to be. Gameplay wise, I I mean, I was playing this game. I'd come off two or three games, which I don't know. My head just wasn't in. I wasn't really enjoying. I was, you know, almost playing them just for the sake of that I owned them. I I played for them. Um, I was, yeah, you know, a little bit low on 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 my little gaming hard view there for a second. I was like, oh, I need something to pick me up, and Ori came along, and it it really kind of just got me back into that, you know. A gamer's game. I I'm, I don't want to. I'm yeah. I'm not going to apologise for the fact that this game is hard. This game is hard, and maybe it's then not for everybody. But I like the fact that it was a challenge again. I like the fact that the art and and the mechanics all blended into one. I don't think it's it's not as tight as something like Super Meat Boy. We have to get that in there because we love to do that for every show. So it's not as tight as that. But I also don't think it's as complex as other Metroidvania games. Um, but for me, it, it found a really nice balance in between, you know, the extreme ends of those genres. And it kind of made a game of its own. And for that, it, it should be applauded. I think it's a beautiful game. I think it's a fun game to play. And I think time you get to the end and you have all those mechanics at your disposal, some, it's one of those games where someone looks over the shoulder in astonishment that you're pulling off what you are pulling off on screen, even if by that time you're like, this is easy, whatever. Yeah, do this in my sleep. Um, so I, I, I really, really enjoyed my time with Ori and the Blind Forest. And it's definitely one that I think if you haven't um, had the opportunity to play or you haven't got the console to play it, you know, I don't know if you go out and buy an Xbox One to play it, but you know, definitely if you've, if you've got a, a PC, you, you know, it's been cheap enough. And I, the definitive edition is the way to go. It's got story modes, it's got theatre modes and stuff we haven't talked about. Like it's it's a love letter to their own game. So um yeah, complete thumbs up for me. Really enjoyed my experience with Ori and the Blind Forest. So that that was that. So next issue in issue 229 and the team gets their hands dirty and discuss EA's plant versus zombies. Thank you very much for listening.